0: Hey, everybody. Greg Laurie here. You're listening to the Greg Laurie podcast. And my objective is to deliver, hopefully, compelling practical insights in faith, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. To find out more about our ministry, just go to our website, harvest.org. So thanks for joining me for this podcast.
1: Well, Alice, thanks for having me at your place here. It's called The Rock, right? This is The Rock. Yeah, we started about 20 years ago. Uh, trying to find a place for kids to go where they could, you know, an alternative to what's on the street, basically. Yeah. And uh, I watched a couple of 16 year old kids do a drug deal on the corner. And I went, how does that kid not know he might be a great guitar player mm-hmm. or that that other kid might be a drummer? And it just struck me right then. Why don't we open that? Give them that al- al- alternative to go there. And it ended up here.
0: That's incredible. And you're and I know you're impacting a lot of young people here and and it and they come in and they wonder what's the catch, but you're just doing something for your community. It's well and it's
1: not only that, but it's all Christian. You know, we're all Christian guys and uh Lord told us to do it. So we just obeyed. That's all.
0: So speaking of that, when I've told people, yeah, I met Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, what's he like? I said he's the nicest guy down to earth, so easy to talk to. And, you know, and they have kind of the stereotypical image of you because, you know, you have a persona, right? You're the guy that, well, first of all, I mentioned to a young person the other day, I'm going to talk with Alice Cooper. And they said, didn't he bite a head off a bat? I said, I think that's Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. I said, I do know there's a story with Alice and a chicken, though. Oh, chicken. But that's yeah. sort of maybe a little mythological, right?
1: It, it, you know, back then there was no Internet. So yeah. everything was uh, word of mouth. Everything was uh, urban legend. Yeah. And they wanted Alice to be that. More than anything, I think they were looking for a villain. And I was more than happy to be Captain Hook to everybody's Peter Pan. And so the villain always gets all the good lines, you know? And so I was built not to be the hero, but the villain. But the villain also has to have a sense of humor behind it or it doesn't work. And everything is based on how good is the music. You cannot put the icing on the cake without the cake. A six-hour rehearsal is five hours on the music, yeah. one hour on the theater. Wow! So, I mean, it, the band—we were up against Led Zeppelin. Yeah. We're up against, like you said, the Who, the Yardbirds, those guys, yeah. and you had to be as good as they were. You know.
0: Well, did you? Was it a big moment in your life, like it is for a lot of musicians today, when you saw the Beatles, like on the Ed Sullivan oh. show? Was that kind of the moment where you said, "Music for," well, it was Vincent Furnier, not Alice yes. Cooper, at and, that point.
1: And I was painting a house, yeah. and it was summertime. Yeah. And I'm painting the house and the radio was always on K-R-I-Z or K-R-U-X here in Phoenix. Top 10. It was always the Beach Boys, the Four Seasons, you know, Motown. And all of a sudden I heard, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, what? (laughs) And then I heard about an hour later, I heard, I want to hold your hand. And I went, what? Yes. There was four songs that I heard immediately. And I kept going, who are these guys? I I had no idea they were the Beatles, haircuts. Funny, they said, that's the Beatles from England. And then I saw what they looked like and I went, oh, I got to do that. You know, I got to do that. that. That's really too much fun.
0: And they were almost like from another planet, you know, the other accents were the Beatles, you yeah. know, we looked like this, like liver puddley and who
1: are these people? Where did they come yeah. from? And They were funny. They, were. they had a great sense of humor. They, they talked were. great. The girls loved them, which immediately got our attention. Yes, that the of girls course. loved them. You know, I was 16 or 15, actually, yeah. And I immediately called my my Dennis Dunaway, who was my best friend. Yeah. We were both on the cross-country and track team, yeah. uh, both distance runners. And he says, I know a guy that plays drums. Another guy on the cross-country team. Yeah. So three of the guys in the original Alice Cooper band yeah. were four-year lettermen. Wow. We were jocks, yeah. which is so weird that we ended up being the most... Notorious band in rock and roll, yeah. and we were all jocks. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> and then we, we found two uh, of the the most notorious guys at school are guitar players. Yeah. We're both guys that got kicked out twenty times for smoking and drinking and yeah. all this. Yeah. And they were the two guitar players. And I went, "There is our guys yeah. right there."
0: And you started out covering a lot of
1: Yardbird songs, right?
0: Well, when a we very got
1: unappreciated band is, I mean, they're a great band. They were the you know once you got past the Beatles and Chuck Berry. Yeah. You, then you had rock and roll 101 down yeah. then you started looking at the rolling stones yeah. okay now it's blues based rock yeah and that's pretty cool yeah. to learn easy easy to learn yeah. and then you drifted in maybe a little deeper to the who yeah. okay yeah. they're a little more experimental and then the yardbirds came along yeah. and we went oh that's it yeah that's the sound right there did you
0: have a favorite yardbird song
1: oh and, and, i mean all of them which train kept rolling was yeah. even though it wasn't one of their songs uh but happenings 10 years time ago was one of the greatest songs of all time. Um, all of their songs. We we basically did everything on the Rave Up album.
2: Yeah.
1: And we were the local band called the Spiders. Yeah. We played at the... Which is a, a very cool name. Side. I think well, they- we were the Spiders, yeah. And we were the Yardbirds band. Yeah. So when the Yardbirds came into Phoenix, where did they play? The club we were at. Oh. So we opened for them and did all their songs before them. Did they like that? <laughs> they were over in the corner. Did they think going, they... They went. Oh, really? That's great. And then they got on stage and blew us off the stage oh, yeah. because they were the Yardbirds.
0: No, yeah. think here you are, a young guy painting a house, listening to the Beatles. It's a big moment in your life. And then you went on to meet all the Beatles.
1: You know, that was something was that that weird, weird to meet them in real you life. You never, ever thought that you would ever be even in the same building yeah. as the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're, you have a hit record. Yeah. And now you're in the game. Only from in the sudden,
0: 70s, you were the biggest rock act out there.
1: Well, that happened just out of just, you know, we just wouldn't give up. Yeah. We wouldn't give up, wouldn't give up. And finally, we, our producer came along, Bob Ezrin, who was our George Martin. Yeah. yeah. He took a bunch of good ideas, good riffs, and said, I know how to make this into three-minute records that'll so get played on the radio. And we went, right. Yeah, we're never getting played on the radio. Yeah. We had 14 top 40 hits, wow. you know because of him.
0: I watched a documentary about your career called uh, Super Duper Alice Cooper. And, uh, you know, as I watched it, I I realized watching how ahead of your time you were, you know, you've been called the godfather of shock rock. I mean, all all these bands like the Motley Cruz, the Marilyn Mansons, the Rob Zombies, and many others to follow, you can see you were doing that before anybody
1: else did that. I, I looked at The Who and I said, this band is so amazing. Pete Townsend is the spirit of rock and roll himself. He just, he's still, nickels are bleeding. The he's windmill. 75 yeah. years old and he's yeah. killing it, yeah. you know. And Pete, uh, you know, Pete and Dalry. And then of course, Keith Moon was one of my best buddies wow. who was the greatest drummer I ever heard in that my life. Yeah, he was unbelievable. And I said, but there's a blank canvas behind them. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't we fill that canvas? In other words, if you're going to say, welcome to my nightmare, right. don't just say it. Give them the nightmare. Wow. Why not? Produced the nightmare. Yeah. So it was it, you crawl out on this limb, and either you're going to be a genius or a moron. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a hit, yeah. you're a genius. Yeah. If it's a flop, they go, "What an idiot that guy was." You know. It just depends on if you get your record played. Yeah.
0: And you met some of these guys from another era, like Groucho Marx and well, they George Burns. I mean,
1: like they actually know Groucho Marx. I mean, just- that was the the coolest thing ever because. Once you were in, yeah, once you had a hit record, it was the Willy Wonka golden yeah, ticket, yeah. you know. Um, I, had, I knew I was going to meet the Stones and yeah. the Beatles and all that. And that was the coolest thing ever because right. they were the nicest guys. Right. The, the bigger they were, the nicer they were. Sinatra, Elvis, everybody. And, and then one night, somebody says, Groucho's coming to your show. I went, what? You know, Groucho Marx? And went, yeah. So he comes to the show. And he sees it as vaudeville. Yeah, That's how he pictured it. He said, well, this is vaudeville. Yeah. So he brings George Burns, Jack Benny, <laughs> and we look in the on the corner of the side and there's all these Borscht belt, you know, vaudevillians yeah. and Fred Astaire's over there watching our dancers, Cheryl and the dancers, you know, and, and he's going, you know, these kids are great, you know, and we're getting all this great. And I didn't realize that that's how they saw it. They saw it as vaudeville,
2: Yeah,
1: you know, George Burns is going and yeah, Gracie and I 1929 That's you know he said we well, uh yeah. well, we saw a guy a magician use the guillotine like that didn't use the snake but he used the <laughs> <a> guillotine <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going wow you know so I was the only rock star in the Friars club wow and I'd walk into the Friars club and there's Sinatra and there's Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope and all the great comedians yeah. and me because apparently they saw me as comedy. <laughs> That's funny. And you grew up probably watching them on TV, right? Oh, man. Steve yeah. Allen. I yeah. mean, all the guys that I adored were in that room. And I was just, and I was all in black leather. They're in tuxedos. And they just totally accepted me as that. I was that. I was Alice Cooper. And they treated me, hey, Coop, you know.
0: So when did Vincent Fernier become Alice Cooper? I know you had a band
1: called Alice Cooper. Yeah. And then later you just, you actually changed your name. We were called the Naz. Yeah. for a long time yeah. and um went to LA as the Naz. Yeah. There was this, uh, a yardbird song called the Nazar are Blue. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Naz, that's a great name." Yeah. You know. We found out later on there was Todd Rundgren's band was oh, called yeah. the Naz. Yeah. So now we got to change the name. Yeah. And everybody came up with these horrific names, you know, just cuz that was the thing right then and we with our image and all that. And I said, "Why don't we go the other way?" Yeah. "Why don't we give them something they're not going to expect?" Right. How about I was thinking Betty Crocker, you know, <laughs> but Crocker. Alice Cooper came out. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the name that sounded like the little old lady that made cookies for everybody down the street and on the, on the porch and I said Alice Cooper. That's the band's name. And everybody goes, that's so weird. Yeah. You know, and I went, yeah, that's gonna, and it's going to just irritate every parent in America. Yeah. And
0: the rest is history, of course. Now here I'm gonna loop back. Well, let me just ask you one question. You mentioned Elvis. So you've met all these people. So what is it like to meet Elvis Presley in person? Is he how different is he from the persona we have of him? This, this was
1: 71. Yeah. Elvis was Elvis. So he's in Vegas at this he's point. He's in Vegas. Yeah. And he's Elvis Presley. Yeah. And it's not fat Elvis. It's not drugged out Elvis. It's yeah. Elvis. And I get a call. Elvis wants to meet you.
2: Wow. And I went,
1: Wow. Okay. So I get there to the Hilton Hotel, you know, the elevator opens up and it's uh, Liza Minnelli, Chubby Checker, Linda Lovelace, and me.
2: Unbelievable.
1: And we go up and they check you for guns and you're sitting there, you know, talking and talking and then he comes. He comes in the room and he is the room. I mean, he's Elvis. This is black leather, good looking, handsome Elvis. And he walks in and says hi and he goes, hey man, you're that cat with a snake, ain't you?" <laughs> And I went, yeah. He said, makeup and all that stuff. Yeah. He said, I dig that, man. That's cool. He said, that's really cool. You know. And he says, "Um, you're from Detroit, right? And I went, yeah. He says, come on in here. I'm going to show you something. So I go in with him to the kitchen, opens up a drawer, hands me a loaded Smith & Wesson 38, And I go. I start taking the bullets out, you know, because I'm from Detroit. (laughs) And he goes, no, man, keep the bullets in. I'm going to show you how to take a gun out of somebody's hand. A loaded gun? Yeah. By the time I said that, the gun was out of my hand. I'm on the floor. Those karate moves of Elvis. Yeah, there's a boot in my neck. Oh, my gosh. That's great, Elvis. Can I get up now? Yeah, right. And he says, you won't see my most prized possession. And I went, yeah. So it's just me and him now. And go in the bedroom. He closes the door, and I started going, most prized possession. What am I doing in Elvis' bedroom now? (laughs) I don't know what his prized possession is. And he opens up a drawer, and he pulls out an envelope with x-rays. And he says, says, what happened was I was leaving the bar the other night, you know, with with my boys. He says, and there's three boys out there drunk and they want to fight me. He says, and I call my boys off and I fought all three of them. He says, broke the guy's collarbone right here. He says, then I swung around. He said, and I I broke the guy's wrist here. And and I'm sitting there going, this is your most prized possession. Realizing now that that was his only contact with the outside world was that fight he he, the colonel wouldn't let him go left right up down he couldn't go to a movie he couldn't go play pool he couldn't go to a bar because that was his little life was in that he could have anything he wanted in that room or graceland but he couldn't leave so right then I realized if anybody puts you in a mansion or no matter what, and gives you anything you want, you'll find a way to kill yourself. Because it's not natural to be held up in a place like that. And he did. I mean, he ate himself to death, he drugged himself to death, and he died early.
0: And that's happened to so many
1: Michael Jackson.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Who ended up marrying Elvis' daughter. Yeah. But, but it's I mean? happened to so many rock stars. Yeah. I mean, going back to the so called 27 Club, oh, you know. Yeah. Brian Jones. and uh, all those guys. You knew these guys. But yet your life didn't go that way. I mean, it did for a while, didn't it? Could have. And you were starting to go in that direction. You had a a serious alcohol problem. And and I remember hearing that you were like, you had a big rock of cocaine. And you were like bleeding out of your eyes. It was insane.
1: After about, you know, after about two weeks, Cheryl had gone. She'd gone to Chicago and said, I can't watch this. Right. But the cocaine was speaking a lot louder than her. And uh finally I, I I looked in the mirror and it looked like my makeup, yeah. but it was blood wow. coming down. I think I might have been hallucinating, yes. I don't know. Flushed the rock down the toilet and went to bed for three days. Yes. And uh, I woke up and I called her and I said, It's done. And she goes, Right. You know, she said, You have to prove it. And that was, you know, that was the beginning of our relationship coming back. Of course. One of the deals was we start going to church
2: yeah.
1: and we started going to North Phoenix Baptist. And uh, there was a pastor there, Jackson, who was a hell's fire pastor. Yeah. And he, there's 6,000 people. And he was talking to me because wow. I was a prodigal son. Yeah. Remember, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. My granddad was a, uh, an evangelist. And when the, when the band happened, it took me as far away as you could possibly. I was a poster boy for everything wrong. And then when I got sober and everything, came back to the church, realizing that's where I belonged, there. So we started going to, and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I I came to Christ because my love of Jesus. I came to Christ because of my fear of God. I totally understood that hell was not getting high with Jim Morrison. (laughs) Hell was going to be the worst place ever. In fear, I came back to the Lord. But... I went to another church and that pastor preached the love of Christ, yeah. which now you put the two together yeah. and it was exactly right. Yes.
0: Well, you know, the Bible even says some saved by fear,
1: you know, and th- there's a point where some people, they need the hell scared out. of I'm them. telling you, I, I, was, I had, cause I knew if I died and I knew, in other words, I knew who Christ was, Jesus Christ yeah. was, and I was denying him. Yeah. Because I was living my own life and I was living my life without him. I knew that there had to either come a point where I either accepted Christ and started living that life, or if I died in this, I was in a lot of trouble. And that's what really motivated me.
0: What does that mean when you say accepted Christ? What does it mean to accept Christ?
1: Well, you know, I don't think we accept Christ. I think we accept the fact that he accepted us, you know. Um, And I just got to a point of saying, I'm tired of this life. And I know that this is right. When people say, well, how do you know that? Put that into words." And I go, you can't put that into words. Yeah. It's because God opens your eyes. And He says, you know, and it's supernatural.
2: That's right.
1: And you try to tell that to people and they go, well, yeah, but so is voodoo and so is this. And they go, no, you don't understand. And I could never explain it to you. Yeah. But when, when the Lord opens your eyes and you suddenly realize who you are and who He is, yes. oh, it's a whole different world, yeah. you know. And right then, you know, I I, I uh, was baptized and um, I went to my pastor and I said, I, I think I got to quit being Alice Cooper now. Mm-hmm. And he goes, really? He says, do you think God makes mistakes? Hmm. And I went, no. He says, look where he put you. Yeah. He put you in. He said, he put you in the exact camp of the Philistines. Yeah. And you were basically the leader. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so now... What if you're Alice Cooper, but what if you're now following Christ wow. and you're a rock star, but you don't live the rock star life? Yeah. Your lifestyle is now your testimony. Wow. And that made total sense to me. You know, So uh, there were lyrics I changed. There were certain songs I yeah, so changed. So what's
0: the difference between 70s Alice Cooper
1: and Alice Cooper of today? The, the big difference was the 70s Alice was alcohol driven. Yeah. That character was a victim. He was carrying the load of all the teenagers out there that were yeah. disenfranchised. They were the ones that were like, nobody understands me. This, Okay, so Alice was them. He represented them. And on stage, you can see that, you know, this was like, like uh, yeah. that. Yeah. When I, that Alice was gone, I said, now what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to be like the arrogant villain? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I mean, in a sense of, say, Alan Rickman, mm-hmm. Who's really yeah. arrogant and, yeah. and condescending, but yeah. funny. Yeah. Almost John Cleese, almost, yeah. you know, uh, where he looks down on people yeah. and you can see that it's funny, but it's still yeah. scary a little bit. Yeah. I said, that's how I should play Alice now. And that worked. But I found myself, now my lyrics were now yeah. aiming towards Christ. Wow, You started looking at the lyrics and you started going, wait a minute, that's pointing to Christ. And the only, the only people that understood that were the Christian kids. Mm-hmm. One of my albums, The Last Temptation, was being sold in Christian bookstores. Mm-hmm. And my record company couldn't figure out why. <laughs> because it was all totally, yeah. you know, it was yeah. doctrine.
2: Yeah. It
1: was saying, hey, The Last Temptation. I mean, if, if you want what the world has to offer you, yeah. that's all you're going to get, you know? Yeah.
0: You know, there's so many... Young people today, you know, we hear the names of all these people that you've known personally. We talked about Jim Morrison and the Beatles. And did you ever meet Hendrix? Oh yeah,
1: Hendrix is one of my best buddies. Wow. You know, Jimi Hendrix was the first guy, the first guy that ever went, here, oh, man. Wow, really? And I went, oh. OK, <laughs> you know, like an Do you idiot. think he's the greatest rock guitarist of all time. You know, the most inventive. Yeah, I'd so say good. the most inventive. Uh, There's
0: others like Jeff Beck, Clapton that are, you know, they all respected Jimmy yeah. on a whole level. But no because, one sounded like Jimmy. No,
1: he did it so differently. And they all came out to see him and they all kind of looked at each other and went, wow. Yeah, he's. And we thought we did everything there could be done to a guitar. And look yeah. at him now. He's playing it upside down. Yeah, yeah. He's playing the blues, but it's
2: yeah.
1: psychedelic blues. Yes. And everybody loved him but he was the nicest guy. Yeah. Nicest guy. And and his death was just totally an accident. Yeah. But yet these these stories
0: keep repeating themselves. You know, you go to the 27 club of the 60s, yeah. then fast forward to Amy Winehouse or Kurt Cobain, most yeah. recently rock DJ Avicii, same story. Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Yeah. And Chester Bennington. Chester Bennington. You know, and it's like, come on. You know, this story keeps playing itself out. And, you know, there's someone watching this right now. You've lived this life. You've been there. You've known these people. They've been your friends, many of them. All of them so like what would you say to somebody that's thinking there's some kind of an answer or fulfillment in the trappings of this kind of life or drugs or any of that or alcohol even what would you say to them as to you know what
1: course they should follow well there's an old old saying that you know trying to fill that hole that god should have with alcohol drugs sex money everything and it never works most of the guys i know that listen that actually are interested in Christianity are the guys that hung over the edge and would that far from oh, yeah. going yeah. down they're the ones that go really yeah and because they know that there is no fulfillment in that how many yeah. how many wives can you have that doesn't yeah. work yeah. how many cars do you need how many of this and this and this yeah. and they keep going but there must be something it seems almost as though they try everything but Christianity. Well, because if you if you become a Christian, what you're saying is I'm not God anymore. Yeah. Good point. If you're saying I'm not God anymore, yes. that's everybody wants to be God. Even Christians have a hard time yeah. giving up. True. Your life, you know, there's that's the last thing they want to give up is right. the fact that I want to make my decisions. And finally, what do they come up with? Yeah. Finally, the only thing is I've tried everything. I'm tired. I'm just going to yeah. kill myself. Yeah. Wow. You know. I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with clinical depression. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and sometimes it's just undeniable. I mean, you can't talk a person out of clinical depression. Yeah. You know, it's there. And I luckily, I've never had that, yeah. you know. Uh, I would really be afraid of that. Yeah. But again, even Christians, there could be Christians clinically depressed. Right. But at least they have a Savior.
2: That's right.
1: You know. And now
0: today, you know, you... Have your band, the Hollywood Vampires, uh, Joe Perry and Johnny Depp. And, you know, you hang out with these guys that you told me that you gave a Bible to Marilyn Manson. Yeah. They respect you because you're you. You know, you're 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 still Alice Cooper, but you're a changed man on the inside. Yeah. And and they, you know, they respect you. And, you know, you have this platform to reach people that, like a guy like me who's a
1: preacher, it never lists no guy like me, but yeah. they'll list no guy like you. Well, they you know, because they knew me before. Yeah. And they know me now. And they go, okay, what happened? I said, the Lord's in my life now. And what do they say to that? A lot of guys think, oh, just another religion. Yeah. Okay, well, the last thing you want is religion in your life. What you want is Christ in your life. You don't want religion in your life. I think people judge Christians by other Christians. Yes. And immediately they think, well, you're Christian, so you can't do any wrong. And you're better than me. And I go. That's just the opposite. Yeah. And when you become Christian, you become very aware of how far away you are. But again, you know, Satan uses that. Yeah. Satan uses that as a weapon. You know, I'm Christian and I made a mistake. Oh. Yeah. Well, then you're not really a Christian. Yeah.
0: Well, we're <laughs> a work in progress, aren't we? Well, like, exactly. But yeah.
1: you know, they, they, you'd be surprised how much that they have this image yeah. that you have to be perfect if yeah. you become a Christian. Yeah. We'd like to be perfect, but we're yeah. certainly not going to be. Yeah. That's right. You know.
0: Well heaven is not going to be filled with perfect people it's going to be filled with forgiven people. That's it. And we yeah. just have to admit our sin and we still sin. The Bible even says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves. Oh, the yeah. truth is everyone's going to sin. And there's all kinds of sins you can yeah, do. Yeah.
1: Sins I, of commission, sins of omission. I, I pray all the time I said if I sin don't let it be something that I purposely decided to do. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't I don't want a sin that I designed myself yeah. <laughs> I said because that's that's like first-degree murder yeah that's you know premeditated yeah. sin is something you want to avoid at all costs by we're gonna sin by omission we're gonna sin by not honoring God to where he should be honored totally. but when you sit there and go okay now I know what I'm gonna do here I'm gonna God will forgive me this yeah. you know, that's you know sin is sin to God yeah. and it's right. not it's not funny to him yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, a lot of people are surprised to find out that Alice Cooper believes in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they're also surprised to find out that Steve McQueen believed in Jesus Christ and was a had strong faith before he died. And they're also surprised to find out that Johnny Cash had a strong faith in Jesus from his childhood. He struggled, but I think that he was just sort of like the prodigal son who came
1: back again
0: and again and again, yeah. but he
1: never lost sight of his roots or his that's faith. that's exactly how i relate to him because i was that same guy yeah i went as far away as i could and then, yeah. then came back yeah because it kept calling me back he yeah. kept calling me back you know and um and the great thing was he gave me a wife that was yes. a, a prayer warrior Yeah, i mean you know and that was the that was what really solidified yeah. everything was like yeah. if I. That's what really was the. People say, "Well, how can you be together for 43 years yeah. and still flirt with each other?" Yeah, you know, because that's that's what the Lord gave us. That was yeah. our marriage, you know. Yeah, and that's great.
0: And just as God gave you, Cheryl, the Lord gave Johnny June Carter Cash. Yeah, and she probably saved his life literally. Oh, I'm sure. Because he kept spinning out on drugs, and you know, she really held his feet to the fire. First
1: of all, all of us guys that are married. We're way out of our league with our wives. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Every guy I talk to, I say, "How far out of your league are you with your wife?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, my wife is so much." Yeah, <laughs> I'm in that category too. So Johnny
0: Cash, an American icon, the Man in Black, yeah. Alice Cooper, he's great musician, also a Man in Black, <laughs> often, not always, yeah. but often. Uh, and so, you know, what do you think of Cash? Kind of looking at music in general where do you see him like as some you know he is actually in the rock and roll hall of fame sure he's in the country music hall of fame yeah he really you know when he started out his music was called rockabilly yeah which is kind of the precursor to rock and roll yeah along uh, with elvis and jerry oh, Lee, absolutely Lewis, and, yeah. and then later he became more of this country icon but through the end of his career he kind of reclaimed his title as just this you know american original yeah why does because you look at kids today they'll have tat Tattoos of Alice Cooper, of course, sure. but they'll also have tattoos of Johnny Cash. That's right. Why, why would a young kid today think Johnny Cash is cool, and why has he transcended time? There was
1: something about him that he was like Steve McQueen. Yeah. He was like uh, James Dean. Yeah. There was this coolness about him yeah. that everybody could respect. Yeah. No matter if you were into country music, if you were into hip-hop, if you were into everything, disco, you say Johnny Cash, you would go, oh, yeah because he he was maybe more relatable than Dylan was. Yeah. Dylan was very abstract and wrote a lot of things that d- sounded great and it was deep and all that and some of it wasn't deep. Some of it was just fun, you know. Johnny Cash had this homespun kind of americanism to him yes. that everybody understood. Same with Elvis though. Yeah. Elvis everybody loved Elvis because he was that kid from the south. Yeah that learned how to play and there was an honesty about him. There was no sort of like there was nothing shady about him. And Johnny Cash was that icon that every single person could go. Yeah, I listen to Johnny Cash and nobody would go Johnny Cash. They would go. Cool. And then at the end of his yeah. career, he was doing Nine Inch Nails songs. Yes, he was. And he was doing Depeche Mode songs. Yes, in fact, you were on Your Own Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. I did, I did Mode. some of the high voices on that one, yeah. And I, guess, I did, But I never met him because I was in a studio. He had already done his vocal. Wow. You know, Just, it was so fast that the, they they, they, they called they call me in. They said, do you want to do this uh, thing on Johnny Cash's album? You know, and I said, what song? And I said, uh, Own Personal Jesus. I had to go listen to the song. I didn't know the song. And I said... What do you want me to do? You know, and we got in there and they said, well, this is his vocal. And I said, well, the natural thing is to do the fifth, you know, on the, on the choruses. Took me 20 minutes, you know, and I was done. He said, okay. And that was it. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I was kind of hoping that he would be there, you know, and everything like that. But it was just in and out. But that's, you know, in this business that you can do that now. You know, you can, you you can sing on somebody's album without ever seeing them. You know, it used to be if I if I did something with Guns N' Roses, I was with them in the studio. Yeah. You know, or or if somebody was on your album, it was fun to have everybody in the studio because you never knew it was going to happen. You know, something good could really come out of that. Yeah. Uh, But that one was really kind of mechanical. Yeah. You know, and. To be honest with you, I don't even know if it's my voice that's on there at the end. You know, I think it's me. Sounds like me but you never know.
0: It's a great song. Yeah. I didn't know until you told me that that was you vocalizing. Yeah.
1: I love that song. Yeah. I, love well, I, whole- I did it and don't know if it ended up on the album. So, I mean, that's, I, I never really paid any attention to it. You know, I just said, well, I know I, I sang with Johnny Cash, but I don't know if it ended up on the album. You know, they could always just kind of go, yeah. well, yeah, this didn't, work, this didn't work. And I understand that. I've, yeah. I've had people on my album and I go, as much as I want to use that, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You know? But there was not one person that didn't respect Johnny Cash. Yeah. He'd been in jail. He'd been, a, you know, but he was an all-American yeah, character. He was. And yeah. there was something extremely honest about him. Yeah. You could trust him. Yeah. Whereas other rock stars, you couldn't. Could you trust, you know, uh, Chuck Berry? <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Berry was the best lyricist <laughs> of all time. Yes. I agree. He was the architect of yeah. what we call rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, But if he couldn't think of a word, he'd make one up. Yeah. Don't give me no botheration. Use botheration in a Scrabble game and see what happens. (laughs) You know, uh, the Coolerator was filled with the Coolerator. (laughs) 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 There was something so great about Chuck Berry. But did you trust him? Nobody I know trusted Chuck Berry (laughs) or Jerry Lee. Yeah. Everybody trusted Johnny Cash. You know, he could be like your cool uncle. Totally. Yeah. You know
0: what's interesting about Johnny too, a lot of artists, you know, they start well and they don't always finish well. I mean, Elvis, you know, he was he was rock and roll to many people, yeah. you know, that's alright mama, G- you know, Jailhouse Rock, Blue Suede yeah. Shoes, but then, you know, he went in the army, he came out, then there's sort of Vegas Elvis and later Elvis, but Johnny started off, you know, as this rockabilly icon, the same place that Elvis started, yeah. Sun Studios yeah. with Sam Phillips, but at the end of his career, sort of Rick Rubin, a great producer, yeah. comes along and says, Johnny, we got to get you stripped down in a front room with your guitar yeah. and just start recording. And then Rubin's bringing songs like From Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails, you know, Bono, others, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Probably songs he had never heard before. Probably songs he'd never heard before. Yeah. And it kind of reintroduced him to a new generation. And in many ways, he ended as strong as he started. Yeah. The other
1: cool thing about him, he'd go to prison. Yeah, he would. And do an album for all those guys in prison. Those guys in prison went, Johnny Cash. That's right. We can trust him.
2: Yeah.
1: Isn't that something? I mean, a guy that can exude that much trust. I think maybe Mr. Rogers is the only other guy. Interesting contrast. Johnny Cash (laughs) and Mr. Rogers were the two guys you could trust. Hello, neighbor. Maybe Jimmy Stewart. You know, there were certain guys you just went, well, if that guy was president, I would trust him. (laughs) Yes. You know, sure. But Johnny Cash had this down home. You know, he sang about being in prison, he sang about, I killed somebody. And now i'm gonna die shot a man in
0: reno shot just to watch him, just him to die. watch him die of course he never did that but i think people maybe thought he understood
1: did it you know and yeah. the guys in prison totally got that yeah they because they gotten. were there because of that <laughs> yeah you exactly. know but there was and this only scandal about him might have been pills yeah he struggled with amphetamine
0: throughout his entire career because when he was starting out in the road he couldn't keep up with the pace. Someone yeah. introduced him to uppers, basically. Yeah. And he continued to struggle Benny's. with those. It
1: was Benny's yeah, at the time, yeah.
0: Through most of his life. Yeah. Even yeah. late in the later years. All those guys like, did, though. I
1: mean, yeah. all those guys were, you know, they were touring on a bus. Yeah, that's right. Through the South. Yes. Where they, you know, a lot of these guys couldn't even go to the bathroom, Going yeah. in the bathroom. You know, so they, you know, and they were doing like two songs a night. Yeah. But they do 25 shows in a row. Yeah. So, yeah, they're popping bennies. Well, the the thing about it is, is when you're in a garage with your friends and you're learning songs. It never occurs to you that you're going to be on the road someday. Yeah. You know, you figure well, we're going to go to Tucson, maybe. Oh, that's on the road. You never realize at some point you're going to be on the road for four years.
2: Yeah.
1: And without a break. And when you're 20 years old, you're also indestructible. And it fame does not come. With a handbook. With an instruction book it says okay now you're famous and this is what you're supposed to do it's a bunch of 21 year old guys they've got a number one record and everybody's throwing money at you Mm. it doesn't say now now this is what you're supposed to do you're a kid in a candy shop yeah so you're doing everything and and again you've got so much energy that you're never tired yeah (laughs) so it's really easy to burn out at 27. Yeah. I watched the guys burn out at 27 yeah. cuz the party never ended. Yeah. And if you lived in LA or New York or London, the party never ended. Mm-hmm. It 24 hours. You know, and I was in that party, you know, but again, you get to that point where I think that there's a your bo- your body starts talking to you saying you have to sleep now. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you cannot believe your own hype. You know, once you start believing what you're reading about yourself, uh that's when guys get in trouble and they start going, Hey, it says here, I'm the best songwriter and yeah. That's one guy's opinion. Yeah. You know. Uh you have to take you have to take what's happening to you almost as an, you're in a very special place where you have a record everybody likes and they like what you do on stage. That's it. Yeah. You are n- You know, you are no better than this guy. You're no better than that guy. You might tell better stories. Mm -hmm. You might be more personable. But every guy that I met that was a major, major, major star was the nicest, most personable people. Frank Sinatra was, to me, was one of the nicest guys around. Peter Sellers was just as cool as could be. Dean Martin was as cool as could be. The Beatles were the nicest guys in the world. The Stones couldn't be nicer. Elvis couldn't be cooler. And I, I kept going. What I'm learning from this is. When you get to there, be the guy that's sweeping the floor is just as important yeah. as the guy playing lead guitar. Wow. And I always treated everybody exactly like that. Hmm. Never looked, never looked down on anybody, you know, and that is what keeps you going. Hmm. You don't make enemies that way. Now, I know guys that are just hated yeah. in this business.
2: Yeah.
1: People will look at them and go, yeah, they're famous, but I just hate them. Mm. You know, and you go, wow, you've got that fame. Why not? Why not use it as a, to be a nice guy rather than a bad guy? That's right. You know, and, and a lot of guys are they have what's called an, a success complex. Hmm. They will actually sabotage their own careers
2: hmm.
1: just because they don't think they deserve it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of went. Look, I was in the right place, right time, with the right stuff, yeah. and I kept it going. And I, to me, everything was about quality. How mm. good are the songs? We cannot afford to do a bad show. I don't care if you do a thousand, fifteen thousand shows. There's not one bad show in there, mm. because you cannot afford that. And maybe that's what kept me going. Yes. But my natural thing is I like people. Yes. I, you know, the day that that people come to you and and say, I want your autograph, and you go, I can't do that. The day you have to worry is when they don't want your autograph. Yeah, that's right. And when they yeah. don't want to take a picture of you. Yeah. So there's never been a time where I've said no. I yeah. always said, okay, let's take it. picture. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know fame, like you said, fame can kill you or it can be the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. If you use it right. Yeah. You know. The road though is you're so excited about getting on stage. And the audience already knows your songs yeah. and there's the excitement of getting on the stage in the very first chord. Mm-hmm. If you're tired or if you have a toothache yeah. or if you have a headache or if you have pneumonia, the adrenaline takes care of all that. Yeah. And you're suddenly just fine. I'll tell you a great story. Okay. I have the sword that I use on stage, mm-hmm. very swashbuckling of me. It's Errol Flynn's sword. Wow. So I, it's very, very cool thing to have. And at one point you know i'd stick it in the stage and walk over so the fog and you know, adrenaline and i stick it and it goes right through my leg oh no so it doesn't hurt that bad because i'm in shock and i let go of it and it just kind of and it's spurting oh my blood now the audience thinks it's a trick the ultimate yeah the band knows that it's not a trick oh. and that i actually i'm going and i turn around to the get and they're going there's little puddles of blood everywhere, oh, right? No. And finally, I just take it, pull it out, stick it in the thing, and I'm fine. So as soon as the show's over, ah, because <laughs> now the adrenaline's gone. Yeah. And there's a hole there. And, you know, they said, well, we've got to go get a, you know, a, a tetanus shot. Yeah. And I'm going, well, I already put a sword through my leg. I'm not going to go get a shot. And I took a bottle of whiskey and just poured it Are on Are you there, kidding me? You know, because that's what James Bond would do, yeah. right? And ah, I'm I'll be all right, and I'll wrap it up. And I couldn't walk. Cheryl was, you know, I could not walk at all. Next night, the show, bang, nothing. I'm all over that stage. You really? thing, as soon as the club oh yeah, the adrenaline kicks <laughs> in. And I've seen her do the same thing because yeah. she's a dancer, and she'll yeah. have, she'll twist her ankle yeah. or she'll do something else. I'll say, "How you can't dance tonight?" And she'll say, "I'll find a way to do it," you know. And she gets on and dances beautifully. And I go, "Well, what happened?" And she goes. Because <laughs> yeah. this audience is there, the show is there. You're not going to let them down. Yeah,
0: you you actually said something. I don't think you meant it this way. You said the adrenaline's there, but afterwards there was a hole there. Oh, and I thought you know, there's the adrenaline rush, but then afterwards it it stops. You and now the crowd's gone, and you go back to some obscure hotel room. Yeah. And do you think that's where a lot of people get into trouble because they're trying to maintain that high, that euphoria?
1: Yeah, 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 that that's when all of a sudden, well, I better take a the downer yeah. to go to sleep. Yeah. Well, and then I better take a some speed to wake up. Yeah. And now I better take a downer to balance that out. Yeah. And then I'll get and now you're on a whole roller coaster. Yes. I never got into that. I was very happy. I never got into that. Yeah. Um, but I knew a lot of guys that were just living on this a speed yeah. and this downer and this speed and this downer. And, you know, I said yeah, that can't work. That teeter totter yeah. kind of lifestyle yeah. can't work. I found that when I got sober, I had so much more fun touring. Wow. Because now I could remember what I did, Yeah. you know? And uh, I was never a drunk drunk. I was, uh, I was on a golden buzz. I was on that sort of uh, maybe the most operative alcoholic there ever was. I never missed a show, yeah. knew all my lines. If I was going to do a movie, I knew all my lines, everything like this. The psychiatrist then, when I went into the hospital, he goes, so how much do you drink when you go on stage? And I went, I never drink when I'm on stage. Huh, oh. well, when, when you're doing a movie, how much do you drink when you're you know filming? And I go, I never drink when I'm doing a movie. She so says, so Alice is not the alcoholic. Alice is totally straight. When he's working, he's not high. Hmm. I went, yeah, he says, the monster isn't the problem. Dr. Frankenstein's the problem. Wow. <laughs> he says, he's fine. Yeah. When you're working, you're you're maintaining, you're doing everything. So you yeah. said when you as soon as you get done, you go back to interesting to medicating yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I didn't realize that when I was working, I never I never mm. used to drink on stage ever. Yeah. You know, so it was very interesting to find yeah. out who who the monster was. Yeah. It was me, not yeah. the character. Yeah. I always blamed him. <laughs> it was easy to blame Alice. Yeah. You know? I, I think that, that, that performing was so important to me. Uh, performing in front of the audience and getting it right mm-hmm. was so important to me. And it was once you were in front of that audience, there was no excuses. You know, there wasn't no, let's take that again. The audience was there. Yeah. And you had to do it right the first time. So I could not afford to be drunk. Mm. I had to be on it. Yeah. Now, as soon as that was done and I got them and yeah. I did it and I walked off, now I needed to relax from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would start this habit again. I still have this habit, but now it's Diet Coke, Wow! (laughs) you know, everything. You never lose that habit, but it's just what you're drinking now.
0: You've been clean and sober for how long? 37 years. So Mm -hmm. is it, is it a point where you don't
1: even like drink any alcohol at all? Nothing at all. Not even near beer. I mean, Johnny Depp, you know, I go over to his house and he's smoking fake cigarettes because he's trying to quit smoking Mm -hmm. and he's drinking fake beer. I said John you're going to have a fake heart attack. You're just going to, you know, have the heart attack this really was it was yeah. all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I won't even taste f- fake beer, you know, no. the, the near beer, what they call it? Yeah. You know. I said because why? That's a trigger. Yeah. That's just a That's trigger it. for me. Yeah. I can't do a trigger like that. Yeah. I, I won't take like uh, if you go to the dentist and they say, "Well, you're going to have a lot of pain, so here's this." Yeah. And I go, "Advil's, okay?" Yeah. Or Tylenol. Right. But that's it. I I can't do anything addictive. The only thing addictive to me right now is golf. Yeah. You play how many days a week? I play six days a week. Incredible. Every day. But all the guys I know in rock and roll that were former alcoholics, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, Dylan, uh, Neil Young, people that you would never expect Mm. all play golf. Really? Yes. Dylan plays golf? Dylan plays golf. And he boxes. Dylan boxes? His, his main thing, if you were, if he was going to go on the $64,000 question or Jeopardy yeah. and his category was boxing, he'd win a billion dollars. He knows everything about Never the game. Never knew that. No, he has his own gym. He has his own sparring partner. Bob Dylan is like, and when I talked to him, all I talked about was Roberto Duran. Wow. And, you know, who was the best middleweight in the 80s. He seems so mystical and mysterious. No. Is he
0: that way when you just talk to him? Robert Zimmerman, if, the if, real guy? If,
1: if you say boxing... Oh, OK, you're right there with them. Wow. You know, uh, isn't that weird? It you know, weird. That, that certain guys are so locked in and that here's Lou Reed that we used to live together at really? the Chelsea yes. Hotel, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. You know, there were people there sitting in the lobby who couldn't get their key in the door mm. because they were so heroined out. Wow, And he was one of them. And I see him years later. And he goes, Alice, how you doing? Go, oh, hey, Lou, how you doing? He looks pretty good. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, uh, hey, listen, I'm hitting the ball a little bit right. And, th- and I go, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're playing golf? Yeah. Lou Reed's playing golf. Wow. And he goes, Alice Cooper's playing golf. And I went, yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation 25 years ago at the Chelsea Hotel. And he goes, no.
0: Well, how is it that you could go from heroin to golf and somehow that it would change what is it if about there's that?
1: something about you stand up in front of the ball yeah and you hit it and you hit a great shot yeah and it goes right down the middle and you go oh yeah that's just like taking a really great hit or wow. whatever you're doing you'll chase that you'll take five or six horrible hits and bad shots to get one more like that hmm. and you hit it and you hit another good one oh now you're back. Yeah. I said, "Lord help you if you hit twenty good shots in a round," because now you're going to play every day, and it, it's it's the biggest addiction. <laughs> golf is like is like the crack of sports. Wow. <laughs> Nobody's ever called it that. That's but a tweet probably, for today. Yeah, that is golf is the a crack it, of sports, Alice Cooper. But you meet guys yeah. that were addicted, and they all play golf. Oh, interesting. Yeah,
0: I've always wanted to learn, but I I've, I've always I think that because. I'll have to be bad for so long before I would be even competent. And I have so many friends that golf. Billy Graham once told me, he said, you know, Greg, you should learn how to golf. And I said, why? He said, because many of the people I've met that I've been able to share the gospel with, I met him golfing. he golfed golf with Bob Hope, with people that would become congressmen and senators and later presidents. But I got to them a up. point
1: where I said I wouldn't vote for a president, didn't play golf. Uh-huh. You know, and, and any golf, any president that says I don't cheat at golf. Yeah. Don't vote for him because he's lying. <laughs> Every president, everybody I know cheats at golf. Not, not when you're when you're playing with your friends, they're not cheating. You're yeah. just playing, playing around. In a tournament, though, you can't cheat. Yeah. You know, or if you're playing for money, you can't right. cheat. But when you're when you're playing with your friends and you say I don't cheat, go, come on.
0: Who are people that you've golfed with that we would never think Alice
1: Cooper would golf with? Oh, for? Groucho. Groucho yeah, Marx, Groucho Marx. Uh, I played a lot. Li- played with Bob Hope.
0: Bob Hope, of course, uh, big golfer. In fact, he'd, take, was, he'd take his club out in the oh, state. Part of his. Him, app.
1: him, and, uh, and Bing Crosby. Yes, were both five handicappers. They were really low handicappers. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis yeah. were both five handicappers. Wow. they were both really good players, and uh, I, I remember one time. This was the classic story. Here's Alice Cooper with hair down to here. Black leather at one of these Friars clubs. Everybody's in tuxedos, and everybody you look at is somebody that you went, Oh my gosh, that's Jonathan Winters. That's, you know, da, 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 da. And a guy comes over and he says, Hey, uh, Bob wants to talk to you. Uh, they say, Yeah, come on. And I walk over there, and there's Bob Hope, President Ford, the uh, president of steel, of U- US Steel, yeah. and four or five other guys. And I walk over and Bob says, Alice, he says, yeah, he says, I seem to be slacking the ball, you know. And I said, well, you relax your right hand and let the club turn over and everything. And I have a picture of me like that and him standing there looking at it. And the president goes, and I went, this is so weird. <laughs> because it's incredible. You know, here's these guys. Yeah. That. Alice Cooper should be somebody they wouldn't even ever talk to. Yeah. But golf was the common denominator. Oh, interesting. And that was the thing that everybody's going, oh, yeah. You know, and I'd get a call. I got a call one time at the new. I was staying at the, the um, one of the big hotels. I can't remember in New York City. The Plaza. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And I get a call and it says, hi, this is Tom. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, President Ford's uh, press agent. Hey, listen, he's got three hours off tomorrow. You guys want to play? Really? You know, I said, yeah, I can play tomorrow. Great. About five, 10 minutes later, I get this call. Hey, Alice, it's Jerry. He said, I can't play tomorrow. I got to go to Puerto Rico. There was some kind of a thing going on. Jerry, President Ford. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jerry, you know. And I'm going, well, okay, President Ford. And I said, well, we'll we'll play some other time. And he goes, okay, yeah, give me a call. Keep me in the click. Now I went, what other sport would that be? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's, It's golf was like the common denominator. Wow. I had a very special thing with the audience in the fact that I realized after a long period of time that all they really cared about was the songs. Mm-hmm. They want to hear those songs. Yes. Okay, I'd go to hear The Stones.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to hear Brown Sugar. Yeah. I want to hear The Last Time. I want to hear yeah. this 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 and this. On our thing was not only did they want to hear the songs but they wanted to see the show. They would be disappointed if I didn't do the guillotine. Mm -hmm. They'd be disappointed if I didn't do the straight jacket, or if Cheryl's nurse didn't come out and and become the nurse. They expect the things and you go, okay, we're going to give you that.
2: Yeah. And
1: we're going to give you more than that. We're going to surprise you two or three different ways. Yeah. Uh, But your relationship with the audience is the very first time that you feel like you're going to die and you start schools out and the audience goes crazy. You realize that's what they're there for. That song meant something to them. Yes. Or you do a ballad. Only women bleed, and that song meant something to those. Yeah. You, all of a sudden, you see flashlights, mm-hmm. or, or things like that, because that's them saying, "This song meant something to me." Yeah. And and I think about that with the Beatles when I think about certain Beatles songs. Yeah. I go, oh yeah, that every time I hear that song, it yeah. means something to me.
0: I've seen Paul McCartney in concert a few times, and whenever he's doing the Beatles songs, people flip out. Oh. Then when he starts going back into the catalog of some obscure songs, yeah. That's when people go to the restroom. And he's aware of it, too. <laughs> totally. But boy, when he, does those, he does the first chord or whatever. People know those songs.
1: Yeah, we were back. Cheryl and I were backstage when he was doing a show. I think it was here in Phoenix. And, you know, we know Paul forever. You know, we're talking to him and everything like that. I said, let me see your set list. And I look at the set list. And there's 40 songs. Wow. Every single song. I know every lyric, too. Yes. And he says, yeah, that's our set list tonight. He says, you want to see our other one? I said, you have another one? And I see another 40 songs that I know every single wow. word to. Right. And so we're sitting in the front row, you know, it's kind of a VIP area. And I'm sitting there like this. And they start out with, I saw her standing there. Yeah. I'm on my feet. Yeah. I'm 16 years old. And I'm going, yeah. Yeah. I never do that for anybody. Right. You know, and I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Cheryl and I were both up there screaming, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, you know, because that, that song meant.
0: And that's how your audience. I was 16 again when you're doing schools out and
1: other hits. It's like so you get that you want to give them what they. You have that. You have now that connection with your audience, that only you have.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's your private connection with that audience, and that may be the only personal thing you have with them. But when you do that song, you look at them, they're going oh, Yeah. Yeah. You know. So you try to do every song you can that 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 they're going. It's going to represent a period of their life. You know.
0: That's amazing
1: i get in trouble with this sometimes because i defend rock and roll on a level that what's being called rock and roll now isn't rock and roll yeah you know uh i see a band with an accordion and a banjo and i and they go best new rock band ever you know and i go look what you're settling for would you really put that band in the same record store as the who yeah what this is so far away from being rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So when a rock band does come along, the Struts or the Stripes or Foo Fighters or yeah. Green Day, a real rock band, yeah. I go, that's what rock is right there. That's a, but what I'm seeing yeah. that you're calling rock is yeah. settling for some fourth-rate band. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be a time when there's a lot of... Now, every generation rebels against the last generation. Yeah. Last year, vinyl went up 85%. Yeah, yeah, Why? Because kids are tired of buying air. Yes. Now they've got into the ritual of, uh, now I want to buy an album.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to open it up, Yeah. smell it, yeah. look at it, see who did what, yeah. done it, then put the ritual, put it on a turntable, yeah. put the needle down yeah. and listen to it. That's right. The other generation was just,
2: yeah,
1: I just want to buy one song. Yeah and they don't own anything. It's just air. <laughs> These yeah. kids now got an album. Remember when we opened up Sgt.
0: Pepper*'s for the first oh, time and you have the lyrics actually everything. printed out.
1: We did that with every album, though. Yeah, you or know, the white uh, album
0: with all the little goodies they put in yeah. it, the photos and things like that. I
1: think that is now apparent to what kids are doing now. They're back to that organic thing yeah. where I want to be. I want to own a piece of this band. Yes. I want to invest in this band. That's right. Good. Great. That's great. Now. You know there's good great christian bands my son's band is a great band uh co-op i mean if they sound like lincoln park a little bit only harder yeah and then you listen the lyrics and it's christian based lyrics wow tug of war you know where the world's pulling you this way and god's pulling you this way uh never whisper the truth scream it don't whisper it yeah rock and roll tell everybody yeah, And, it, it you know, if you didn't know, if you didn't listen to the lyrics, you'd go, well, this is just a hard rock band. But then you just listen to the lyrics and you go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. These guys are guys are agents. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and a lot of the vinyl that people are buying are, are albums and bands from the 60s.
1: And I'd be a 15-year-old kid and put your first Doors album on yeah. and go, oh, yeah what? Yeah. Who is this? Right. Or you hear Jimi Hendrix for the first time. Yeah. You know. I always think about this the very first time you accidentally turn on Money Python and you're 16 and you're laughing your head off and you're going, who are these guys? You know, I mean, that's all that lost stuff that the kids can now start rediscovering. Right. You know, some of these kids have no idea that Paul McCartney was in the Beatles. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's so crazy to me, because, you know, we lived through the Beatles. Yeah.
0: I have a friend, Eric McTaxis. I said, who's your favorite band of all time, Eric? He says, Paul McCartney and Wings. I said, wait, not Paul McCartney and the Beatles? No, Wings, I'm thinking, seriously. Yeah, because
1: that's, you know.
0: He's a little younger than me. I mean, I like some Wings songs, but come on, the Beatles. What is your favorite Beatles album? I have my my opinion. I'll tell you mine, Revolver. And here's why Revolver. A lot of people would say that. Because it was before Sgt. Pepper's and it was not quite the old Beatles, that was transitional, Eleanor Rigby, yeah. you know, kind of a tax man, certain songs you can see where they're going, but yeah. it, it just kind of was like a moment in time. And of course, rubber Soul in the heels of it. George Harrison once said you could have released them as a two album set, yeah. you know, yeah. Revolver. And, and yeah. everyone says Sgt. Pepper's, but I think Revolver. If
1: you eliminate Sgt. Pepper, yeah, um, I would say the, meet the Beatles, Yeah, of course. Because that was the one that made you just go, wow. Yeah. You know, and then the White Album. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: They just re uh, it, released it. The
1: White Album is, there's so many great things going on on that album. You know, and it was too bad because it was at a point when they were not getting along. Yeah. But they were writing these great songs. Yeah. As My Guitar Gently Weeps, one of the great solos of all time. And it wasn't George Harrison, it was Eric Clapton. Yeah,
0: that's right. You know. I just rediscovered Glass Onion. That's a cool song. Yeah, every, everything on <laughs> that's that a cool album. Song.
1: You know, you listen to Blackbird. Yeah. And you go, this is a piece of art.
0: It is, absolutely. You
1: know, songwriting is, I've. you know, I realized this a long time ago, that I'm sitting there with Pink Floyd in our house because they lived with us for a while. Mm-hmm. We lived together. And who are we listening to? We're listening to Burt Bacharach.
2: Really?
1: And we're sitting there going, wow, that's really good what he did right there. Yeah. We were talking about the construction of the song. Yeah. How that verse went right into the B section mm-hmm. effortless, just yeah. effortlessly. And then it went right to the chorus. Yeah. And then what did he do? He had his little something else. And then he went back to the B section. Yeah. And we're all sitting there because we're all songwriters going, yeah. That's so simple. And then you realize why were the Beatles so good? They were so simple. Yeah. They nothing got in the way of the lyric. Nothing got in the way of the vocal.
2: Yeah
1: the beatles would not have been as good as they were without ringo yeah ringo was a pocket drummer Absolutely. and he just stayed back yeah. there and kept it going songwriting was everything so i would listen to laura nero and i'd go wow this girl writes amazing once you get a lyric and a chord structure and you marry them together mm-hmm. and they, it works mm-hmm. there's you can't explain why it works you just sit there and you go you, everybody in the room My producer and I will play it, and then we'll all look at each other at the same time and go, oh, that worked. Mm. I used to do a funny thing. I had two daughters and my my wife, and we'd write ballads. We wrote like four big ballads. Only Women Bleed, You and Me, Mm. I Never Cry, How You Gonna See Me Now, like that. They were all big hits. And I found that I would play them for my wife and my daughters. And there's that one moment where that chord hits that lyric. And it's the heartbreak moment. Wow. And if I heard this, oh I went hit. It's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'd play it for Cheryl, you know, and yeah. she'd be listening and you know, and the girls would be listening and they go like this and they go, Oh. And I'd look at like this. we just broke her heart. And that's what made it work. Wow. You know, Eleanor Rigby.
2: Yes. You know, she so, recorded.
1: Yeah, which I they I don't know why he chose me for that song, but he did, and it was. I you loved know, your interpretation. Well, it just of the it. fact that they let me sing it, you know. Yeah. I figured they were. Gonna, I was going to do Helder Skelter or something. Exactly. But he, they said, you know, Eleanor Rigby, and I went, what? Yeah. You know, okay. But the the fact though that they did it so many times, they did so many times where where that lyric and that chord and that thing hit at the yeah. right time, and made an emotional right response to you, and you went oh wow Wow. you know i love that song yes that's the magic of of writing you get it every once in a while every once in a while you get that one little moment where you just go got it yeah you know and only you know it and then you hear it on the radio and people go oh yeah i love that song (laughs) why do you think there's
0: sections in an artist's career or a band's career when they have it's so fertile and there's so many songs and then maybe they get to a point where those songs aren't coming at the same pace. Is it because maybe well, everyone's first album, you know, you're storing up music and yeah. maybe you're suffering in that time and they've come out of life. And then maybe later your life changes and you don't have the same lifestyle. I don't
1: know. That's why. exactly what it is. Every album is where you were at right yeah. now. I can listen to an album. I know I wrote, we wrote an album from the inside, right when I came out of the mental institution mm. from the drinking. And I wrote a song about everybody in that mental institution because yeah. it was just like a writer's dream. Yeah. There were so many psychotics in there that were interesting to me. Yeah. Right down, right down. And Bernie <laughs> Toppin and I would write the lyrics, yeah. you know, back and forth. And uh, but that was that one period. Yeah. The very next album was totally different from that. Yeah. Uh, so you look at those albums and you go, Wow, what was I thinking during yeah. that album? Yeah. There's three albums that I did, I call them the blackout albums. Well, I don't remember writing them, Mm. recording them, or touring with them. Unbelievable. And I wasn't blacked out. I just erased it. How many years was that? Oh, it was a period of time right in the late 70s, early 80s. Wow. When literally, and they were good albums. I'd listen to them and I'd go, wow, that's great. I don't remember writing that song. Unbelievable. And that's something, you know, and now our fans love those albums because they were the tortured albums. They were the ones where I was writing all about this stuff and I was yeah. uh, gone on cocaine or I was gone on this and this and the songs were so unique. Yeah, it Didn't sound like anything on love it to death or killer or yeah. billion dollar babies or schools out. It was this artist is insane, but let's delve into this insane mind and see what's going on. And some of the stuff was great, hmm. you know, and now I listen to it. And I go, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where was I at? Yeah. You know, But I can look at those albums. I still appreciate them. Yeah. But I have no idea where I was at during that. Yeah. You know, Welcome to My Nightmare was was something that I loved. I was so immersed in that album Mm -hmm. because it was so thick and rich and full of stuff. Yeah. But I wasn't in trouble then mentally. Yeah. You know.
0: I'm so glad you've come through. And you're just, you know, your recollection and your... Stories and and just the life in you is just it's so wonderful that you're here, continuing to make great music and well, thank you. making an impact and and especially considering the fact that you're not ashamed to say to
1: anyone that wants to know that you believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. You know, people talk about Alice being a rebel, and there was never a rebel more of a rebel than Jesus Christ. Yes, true. He was the ultimate rebel. He yes. went against everybody, and yes. took and took it. Yeah. You know, but. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about a rebel, he was the ultimate. That's right. It, once you realize that that Alice is a character. Yeah. And that's another world over here. Here's here's the world of Alice Cooper. And so, I'm not touring right now, so I'm over here. Yeah. I'm in Solid Rock right now. So yeah. this is the world I'm in right now. I'm in Solid Rock. Tomorrow's a big tournament and this and that. People have to remind me I'm Alice Cooper Yeah, because I totally kind of forget about it, yeah. you know? But in a couple months, I'm going to be back over here again. Yeah. You know, I don't take any of it seriously. I take the music seriously. Mm-hmm. I take the show seriously. I don't take the hype seriously. Yeah, I am way past that. You know, I respect Alice, the character, and I love the character. He's funny. He's my favorite rock star because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I we even talk about him in the third person. Yeah, Notice that. Yeah, we say, you know, what should Alice wear here? Yeah, uh, I think Alice, I don't think Alice would wear that. You know, or we'd say, you know, hey, right here is where you should do this and this and this. And I go, I don't think Alice would say that, you know, and he, that song. It's not the song he would do there. He would do this song. Yeah. So he's totally divorced from me. Yeah. I, I don't think like him at all. When I'm on stage, I think like Alice. Yeah. You know, and that's a different thing, yeah. you know. But again, with the career and all the stuff. Hey, for one thing, I'm Christian. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you were going to put what's important in my life, Alice Cooper would be somewhere around fifth or sixth place. Wow. <laughs> what would be one, two, three, and four? Well, you'd think your relationship with God, your relationship with your wife, certainly, your kids. Yes. Um, and now Solid Rock is like a very big part of my life. Wow. You know? and But I realized that it all comes from here. Yeah. To me, the funniest, oddest thing is this character that used to be, they used to tear my albums up on the 700 Club. This is really? the worst person you could ever, tearing the albums up and everything, and now is an agent for Christ. Yeah. And that, to me, is like, what a miracle that is. Yes. You know, and I'm still Alice Cooper. I'm still playing this this dark character, but he's an agent of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Weird and amazing and fantastic. But yeah, I'm, I I always say I'm never surprised. I'm always, you know, I'm always totally shocked. <laughs> hey
0: everybody, Greg Glory here. Thanks for listening to our podcast and to learn more about Harvest Ministries, please subscribe and consider supporting this show. Just go to harvest.org. And by the way, if you wanna find out how to come into a personal relationship with God, go to knowgod.org. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D.org.